All right, so if you go back and study the Genesis account, Genesis chapter 1, we see God kind of speaking the world into existence, okay? So God says things like uh, he creates a greater light that rules the day and the lesser light that rules the night, the sun, the moon. He creates stars. He starts creating all this stuff, and he looks. And at the end of each day, after he has spoken this world into existence, he says, and that was good. And that was good. So he creates uh, plants and vegetation and trees. And he's like, man, that's good. And then he starts creating dogs and donkeys and dinosaurs and, and uh, things that hang out in the water, right? And he goes, that's good. At the end of the sixth day, he says he made man in his own image. And he looks and he goes, and that right there is good. And so everything God uh, had created and spoken into existence, he said, that's good. Then you get to chapter 2 of Genesis, and God looks at man, Adam, that he's made, and he makes this statement. He said, it is not good that man should be alone, and uh, that, that, that's not good. I'm going to make him a helper suitable, and so we know that God puts Adam to sleep, and the angel of anesthesiology comes into the Garden of Eden and knocks him out, and God takes a rib from Adam, and not a spare rib, but a prime rib, and he makes woe man, right? And that was really good. And now it's really good. Leave it to my brother Chad. But here's what we know. So when God makes that statement, it's not good for man to be alone. We, we live in a world where a lot of people struggle with loneliness. And, and one of the things that God is calling us to do is love our neighbor. And so the question really has to be posed, how do I love my neighbor who is lonely? So if I ask you, who's lonely? I mean, we would say oftentimes those who have gone through the pain of a spouse dying can experience loneliness. The widow is oftentimes lonely. Sometimes the, the elderly kind of get shut in and they don't have a lot of relational connectivity and community and would go, man, they're, they're, they're struggling with loneliness. But you know what I know? You can walk into a crowded room of people and be alone and feel very lonely. You, you can walk into this church on Sunday and kind of isolate and feel lonely. You can be a stay-at-home mom and feel very lonely you can be in a dysfunctional marriage and be sleeping next to someone that it's all jacked up and feel very lonely. You, you can climb the corporate ladder and make a ton of money and never open up and share your life with anybody and really never do life with anyone else and really battle uh, loneliness. And so the reality is what I know in dealing with people over the years is a lot of people struggle with just being lonely. No, there's a difference in being alone and being lonely. You can do your own study on that. But people battle loneliness today. And some of you walk in here this morning and you're like, nobody knows me. I don't open up with anyone. I will not, will not disclose any real things about my life. And, I, and, and I'm lonely. And I started going through that. There's thinking companionship is not the same as relational intimacy. You can have companionship and so-called friendships or associates that you hang out with, but it doesn't mean that you're experiencing intimacy. God created us for relationship, right? To be vertical and horizontal. And so the word relate means to connect with in meaning and in thought, both with God and with others. And there's a lot of people that are involved with companionship, but they're not 
involved with any type of relational intimacy. And I started thinking through, why are so many people lonely today? We live in a culture where there's more people than ever on the planet. Why are so many people lonely today? And I started just writing some stuff down. I want you to think about this. A lot of people battle this lonely feeling because you've allowed your self-worth to be based on how others view you, on the opinions of others instead of God's truth. And if, and if you ever get into that people-pleasing mode, a lot of people live there. If, if you're motivated by praise, you'll be deflated by criticism. And some people are so codependent upon how others view them. And, and you just feel lonely or maybe you Look at your life and you're like, uh, I've done some things that are pretty jacked up. And if you knew my past, Tim, and where I'm coming from and some of the failures and the wrecks of yesterday, I, I isolate because I'm not going to let anybody know the real me. I'd rather pose and put on this presentable face. And, and in your bulletin, I list like six different things. I mean, it's like you haven't forgiven yourself for some of the things of your past. And so you continue to stay a prisoner to yesterday and you know some of the choices you made and some of the collateral damage that it created and you're like, nah, I'm lonely, man. I'm not going to let anybody really into my soul. I mean, you refuse to let go of the past. You refuse to embrace God's grace. God's grace maybe is good for your neighbor, but it's not good for you. And his mercy and grace is not enough. And I'm not going to experience God's grace because, man, if you really knew how jacked up my background is, bro, you would realize I need to just stay over here by myself, man, because I am diseased. People get there, right? You've never learned how to share your real feelings with anyone. You suppress it. You want to address it. And anything that happens, you just keep suffocating it and pressing it down. I remember when Benji was 16 years old, this guy, we were trying to reach out to him. And we'd been spending about a year with this guy. And uh, him and Benji went to wherever, Horsetown, wherever they went to look at boots one day. And uh, anyway, they came back and I noticed they had pulled up in the front of our house. And about an hour and a half, two hours later, Benji comes walking in the house. And I'm like, uh, what, what, what's happening? Dude, you've been sitting out there in the truck. And he goes, this dude's 36, I'm 16. He's going through this divorce right now in his life and is out there pouring his heart out to me. He goes, I'm 16 years old. And I said, you need to tap the brakes and get a little wisdom on something. He goes, what do you mean? I said, this guy's never learned how to share his heart. He lives with so much pain and defeat. I said, Benji, honestly, emotionally, he's 15. Mentally, he's 15. Spiritually, he's 15. He sees you as his equal, not me. He's just now learning for the first time how to share his feelings, and he don't know how. You ever seen that happen? So there's all these things. You refuse to love yourself and value yourself. You're like, love my neighbor as myself. I do. I think I suck, and so I'm not going to love anybody else. <laughs> I deal with people this way. And I started just thinking through this, like, man, so many people live defeated and paralyzed. And God is saying, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, but you're living a lonely, defeated, just confused life. Uh, here, here are a few other reasons. I started thinking through this. Uh, the breakdown of the family. You know, as well as I do, uh, people go through nasty divorces and all of a sudden there's this crazy divorce that happens and relationships get sideways and all jacked up and people, uh, I, I'm, no, I'm with her, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with him, she's the one that's jacked it up, no, he's the one that jacked it up and all the kids start going through 
relational chaos and come on, anybody ever seen that happen? And you get sideways and so you start just backing off and you feel lonely because again, the collateral damage is so severe. We, we live in a culture where people move. I mean, you think about generations in the past, they, they would stay in the same place forever and ever and grandma was there and great grandma was there and all of a sudden, Today, we live in a very transient culture. People stay here for a year or two, and they pack up and go somewhere else, and we just get lonely and isolated because we don't have deep community. Workaholics, I mean, we live in a generation where people are just working around the clock, and I'm not going to connect, but I'm making the almighty dollar, and relationships get kind of flushed down the drain. Yeah, that's some of the stuff that creates loneliness in our culture, and then I started thinking about the influence of social media. Oh my God, how crazy is that today? I started thinking that we live in this culture where you can create and mold the image that you want to present to the world. And and so I was like, you know, I'm not really into selfies and all that stuff. Matter of fact, if you look at my Twitter or my Facebook page or Instagram, you won't see me taking pictures and putting them out there. But I'm like, I wonder what that would look like if I really toyed with that idea. So I take this. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, all right. So if I were to do a selfie, bam. And I'm like, dude, that looks kind of rough right there. I'm like, you know what? I look a lot more brilliant with glasses on so I'm like we've got (laughs) and so now I work with a bunch of millennials with Nick and Michael Chesterman and some of these guys and they're telling me you know they got filters on these things where you can change the way you look and I'm like oh I do need more of a tan so we go with this chrome or whatever look (laughs) and I'm like that's what I need I need more of a tan and then I didn't like that one and so I go with the next one and I look like I've got embalming fluid stuck in me and (laughs) It's a culture, right? And then I'm like, no, that's not happening. This is what I really look like in my mind. And so, yeah, yeah. So like Brad Paisley said, right, man, I always look better online. And so we're going to present the image we want the world to see. And you ever notice how people do this stuff? I still laugh at it. I mean, maybe it's just the generation of what we're growing up with, but as soon as a person who lives lonely in isolation posts a selfie, within two hours, what are they going to do? They're going to go back to see who liked it. And it's like, is anybody digging me because I really look good, and, but I'm really lonely and I'm scared and I'm confused. And then I've seen people start to change their profile like every other day. I promise you, you're 40 years old. You're not changing that much. I get it with a nine-month-old, but homie, come on, bro. It's just not that good. I'm glad you went to the gym and your biceps went from a 13 to a 13 and an eighth. Come on. You're not really swollen. But people do that, and so many people live lonely lives in our culture. And I think it's uh, interesting to kind of ponder that you may be battling that today. You may have walked in here today and you go, man, I'm just lonely. I I just feel disconnected. I have no relational connectivity or intimacy going on. Or maybe you know of a family member or a friend or a coworker or somebody and you go, man, they're just, they're disconnected right now. 
And Jesus calls us to love our neighbor. And I want to talk about loving the lonely. Now, Gary Chapman years ago wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. Barb and I read that when we first got married. And uh, I, I love that book. And if you haven't read it, I think it's good in marriage. It's good in parenting. It's good in friendship. But he talks about there's five basic love languages. And all of these principles are from the Word of God. But he talks about touch, how meaningful touch is a way people give and receive love. And then he talks about time. And, and some people, their greatest love language is they want to spend time with you, which means they starve for time. Some, it's words of affirmation. And, uh, and, and so they love to share words of encouragement, like apples of gold on settings of silver is a kind word spoken in the right circumstance. And they got all those kind of verses highlighted in their Bible, and they love words of affirmation. And then you've got people that are into acts of service, which is huge for Barb. Barb is a big-time acts of service. She's going to take care of you, and she's going to provide meals and all that, or, or even gifts. I mean, Barb is big time into gifts as well. So I had to learn this about her because she'll go, you know, tomorrow is so-and-so's birthday. I'm like, bro, they just had a birthday last year. She goes, I know, but I'm telling you, you may want to text them. And she sends out cards and she sends out notes. And, you know, that's really not that big of a deal. So, okay, it was our 27th anniversary. I forgot it. That doesn't really go real well. I've never done that. Shame on y'all for thinking that I'm that kind of person. But you hear what I'm saying? And so Chapman in this book lays out these five ways that we give and receive love. We're going to work on some of that in, in communication here in a few days with my friends. And so th this is important for all of us. But I want to look at three kind of key ways that Jesus loved his neighbor in Scripture. And I want you to think about this because he was the master lover of the soul. Right? He was the master lover of the soul. And, and when it comes to really extending the love of Christ to others and loving our neighbor, here's some things I think that we could possibly implement. Number one would be this. Understand the power of touch. I know some of the husbands are sitting there going, I am lonely. Save it, guys. I'm not going there today. That's not what we're talking about. But, but here's the truth. The power of touch can, can, uh, can carry so much weight. Okay, now there's a passage here in Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8 verse 2, and it says this, a leper came to Jesus and bowed before Jesus and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. A leper, a nameless, diseased, despised leper came to Jesus Leprosy in that day was one of the most contagious yet worst diseases that a person could have. You'll read about spiritual leprosy in the Bible in different places, but leprosy was terrible. A person uh, with leprosy was rejected, despised, and hated. A person with leprosy could not live in community with their family or friends. A person with leprosy could not come within six feet of another human being. A person with leprosy on a windy day had to stay 150 feet away because people were so paranoid and feared the disease of leprosy. Lepers would live on their own little colony of people, if you will. And there were all these other lepers and sick people there, and their lifespan was probably about 10 years, give or take. And you stayed there until miraculously you were healed, but most of them 
died. People that experienced uh, leprosy, they had muscle aches and joint pains and rashes would break out all over your body and these rashes would turn into these lumpy, just pussy areas on the body and their bodies were all distorted. Their, their face and it would become dis, distorted and almost dismembered and they would look more like an animal than they would a human and it, it was an awful, awful disease. Vocal cords would deteriorate and become destroyed and they would lose their voice and they would lose their look and their bodies were brutal. You got it? A leper comes to Jesus and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He doesn't question what Jesus is able to do. He just makes the statement. Hey, I, I know who you are. I know your power. I know what you're capable of if, if you're willing. And one of the strongest things that you will read in the scripture Knowing what a leper was and knowing the pain of that condition, it's when you read the text and it says, then Jesus stretched out his hand. Jesus extended his hand and he touched the leper and said, be clean. Who is your Jesus willing to touch? Who is your Jesus willing to affiliate with? I think a lot of us oftentimes, we refuse to love our neighbor because we're not willing to touch certain things. Now, now, now just straight up, Knowing what I know and what I've studied, if a leper walked in here today and said, brother, anoint me with oil and pray over me, I'd be like, brother, I'm going to spray something on you and back up and pray at a distance. But when I study the life of Master Jesus, it says he touched him. He, he touched him. The power of touch, the power of touch is oftentimes such a release of love. Did Jesus have to touch him to heal him? No, 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 no. He shows up in John 11 and Lazarus is dead and he just goes over to the grave and says, Lazarus, get, get up. Uh, Jairus' daughter was sick and he just speaks the word. You got enough faith, it's going to be all right. But I'm pondering this. He didn't have to touch him. But why did he touch him? Because when you start to look at people's lives, maybe the deeper issue was not the disease of leprosy in this man. Maybe it was the disease of rejection. How long had it been since anybody had, had touched him? The deeper thing he needed was to know in his soul that somebody loved him. And I think oftentimes we, we go through life and we're like, man, I'm hurting I just want somebody to touch me. But, but, but we label you unclean based on where you've been or maybe even what you're doing right now. You're, you're dirty. And Jesus says, come here. And he touched him. There, there's people that come into this room every week. There's people that drive onto this campus every week. And you're hurting. Deep down inside, your soul is a leper 
And you come here because this is the only place that you get a high five. This is the only place you get a handshake. This is the only place you get a hug. And you come back week after week, whether you're a fan of the music or a fan of the proclamation of the word, but you come here because it's like, they hug me over there. They, they touch me over there. And sometimes a high five and a handshake and a, how are you doing? They care about me. Makes sense. And so if we're going to love our neighbor, we've got to realize the power of touch. We're not going to invade your space and we're not going to be inappropriate. But this is going to be a place that loves people. This is going to be a place that extends love and hope and mercy and grace to those who are hurting. Hey, how are you doing? Sometimes the power of touch can transform a person's soul. We learn that from Jesus. Here's another one. Listen to people's hearts. Listen to people's hearts. Most people do not listen with the intent to understand others. Most people listen with the desire to respond. One of the things that we, we were taught when we first got married, Barb and I, was this exercise called quick listening. Quick listening. And I was sharing with our staff this week. And so if a person is engaged in quick listening, it would be like even when Barb was preparing to leave. All right, I was here for the first service. Uh, I was here, hung out with people. Bam, you're getting ready to roll. I'm going to go ahead and take off. I'll have lunch ready when you get home. I got to fire the grill up and do some things. Caleb's probably going to go home with me. So you're going home right now. Caleb will probably be with you. Yeah, pretty much sure he's going to be with me. So instead of saying, why are you leaving right now? Don't you want to stay here? No, quick listening is repeating back to the person what they just said. How awesome would that be in relationships? Instead of saying, uh, I hear what you're saying, but I'm about to parade my wisdom right back at you real quick because you need to hear what I've got to say. Most people don't hear with the intent of really listening and loving. There's all elbows and stuff going on right now. I see y'all. <laughs> I see facials. I see how y'all are. <clears throat> so, so check this out. So your story matters. Your story matters. And you want to be able to process your story with someone, right? So Luke chapter 24, Jesus has been crucified. And uh, most people don't know. Hardly anyone knows that he's been raised from the dead. There's these two guys walking down this Emmaus road. Man, you're talking about why so downcast? Oh, my soul. They're dejected deep down inside. They're... Their hearts are so troubled, and they're bumming out. And all of a sudden, Jesus is raised from the dead, and he catches up with these guys in conversation, and the scripture says, and they didn't recognize him. Well, I don't know about you, but if I buried someone four days ago, and all of a sudden, they're walking with me, I'm not really expecting, anticipating, believing that's the same person. So I get where these guys are at as they're walking down this Emmaus Road, if you will. And it says that Jesus came up alongside and he was walking with them. Now, these guys had believed and were convinced that Jesus was going to be this 
great leader and earthly Messiah that was going to establish reign and rule there in that day. They had no idea that he was talking about a, a heavenly kingdom. They were thinking earthly kingdom, right? So Jesus comes up beside and he's walking with them and they have no clue who he is. And uh, he asked a question. He said, uh, guys, what are y'all so concerned about? What, what, what are y'all talking about? What, is, uh, what are you discussing? I mean, what's devastating you? So he asked a question. One of them said, you must be the only person in Jerusalem that is like clueless of what's going on. I mean, you haven't heard what's been happening around here over the last few days? I mean, what are you talking about? And Jesus keeps walking. Now, I want you to think about this. We read this story. I've read it multiple times. Jesus could have stopped them and said, it's me. I'm alive. I've defeated death, hell, and the grave. But he didn't. He keeps walking with them and letting them process. My buddy Brad met Brad in Indiana in 1989. Brad owned Morning Song Wild Bird Feet. Brad and I used to hang out all the time. When Brad was building that brand of Morning Song Wild Bird Feet, Brad would call me. He would say, uh, hey, you got 30 minutes? I'm like, sure, I got 30. What's up? I just want to talk through my confusion. I'll never forget Brad the first time he said that. I thought it was fascinating. I, I just want to talk through my confusion. He didn't say, I've got a one-minute question. Would you give me some great 29 minutes of your wisdom? He wanted somebody to listen to him talk through his confusion. A lot of times when we start to open up our hearts, we're not looking for people to solve our dilemma. We're looking for a safe place that we can process our confusion. So Jesus is walking with these guys. He never reveals really, hey, 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 look. Quit tripping, dude. I've defeated death hell in the grave. It's all right. He just walks and he listens. So I wrote this acrostic out years ago called LIPS, Lips. And a lot of times when you're engaging with people, here's what they want to know. Are you willing to listen to me? What's your story? Where are you from? What's happened? And we want to know that we can authentically share our true heart with someone and we don't want to fragment our disclosure. We want to just... Listen, tell me. Then the I after listen is inquire. Hey, hey that's, that's an interesting point you made right there. What, what do you mean when you were 15 years old this happened? Uh, so, so, so what do you mean by that? And so when people are telling their story, oftentimes you'll, you'll feel like there's a manhole cover that, hey, I need to lift that. There's something underneath that. I want to inquire. When you're doing counseling, Richard, it's so interesting. You're listening and you're writing down notes, but you're inquiring. Hey, hold on, what do you mean by that? And then the P is, I want to process what you're telling me. I want to listen. I want to inquire. And then I want to process. And I'm probably going to listen some more, inquire some more and process. And then if the Holy Spirit gives me permission, then I can share. Remember writing it down, speak only when spoken through. 
I'm like, I've got to learn that one right there. I didn't write down, speak only when spoken to. It was like, I need to learn to speak only when spoken through. What is one of the great ways we can love others? It's by listening to their story, listening to their hearts, by willing, being willing to walk with them as they're trying to figure it out. Here's a third one. When you look at the life of Jesus, he was constantly investing time in other people. Now, I could use so many different stories, but it would probably be good to look at this one in Mark 2, where Jesus is hanging out. He's launching his public ministry, if you will. And Jesus is at this house, and there's all these people gathered at this house. And Jesus is sharing the word, and people are all fascinated with Jesus, he's God in flesh with his wisdom and depth. And all of a sudden, these four guys in the hood get word that Jesus is there. And they've got this buddy I'll call Matt. Matt was paralyzed. Matt lived on a mat. And these four guys look and they said, hey, hey, that Jesus dude, he's in town. We need to get Matt over to Jesus. Yeah, we, we're going to take Matt to Jesus. This is great, right? So, so when we love people and people are living with paralyzed fear or paralyzed lives or whatever, we want to get them to Jesus. Very admired what they wanted to do. So they get there to the house and all of a sudden they look and they're like, man, it's so crowded and there's no way to enter the house to get in Jesus's presence with Matt. So they do what any of us would do, right? They, they, climb up on the roof and they dig a hole through the roof and cut a big hole in the roof and they're like Matt we're getting you to Jesus dude come hell or high water we're desperate and they start to lower Matt through the roof of the house and Jesus stops check it out he took time Woman at the well, I've got to go through Samaria. I'm just telling you, i got to go through Samaria. Woman been married, divorced five times, shacked up with another dude. Tell me your story. Here comes Matt. And they let Matt down. And Jesus, seeing the faith of the friends, he looks at Matt. What did Matt need? He needed time. <laughs> You just need a little time. And Jesus says, uh, hey, Matt, your sins are forgiven. They, they didn't drop Matt through the roof for his sins to be forgiven. They dropped Matt through the roof so that his body would be healed. But what we know is this. What we know is the deeper need inside of each and every one of us is for our spirits to be made alive, for our souls to be awakened. We, we need to be alive in Christ and he looks and he says hey uh your sins be forgiven you and then he says Matt take up your pallet and walk and he heals him but what did Jesus repeatedly do when you study the scripture he stopped and he took time for people he told us to go love our neighbor and this was crazy. Crazy. So, my son Jesse's playing at Archer. Probably better said, my son Jesse is on the team at Archer. Some of us feel this. 
So we're playing South Gwinnett two weeks ago. We play them a three-game series. So I'm floating around. Start talking to people. Start talking to people. I meet this guy, Doyle. Start talking to Doyle. Hanging out with Doyle. We talked a little bit on Monday. Talked a lot more on Wednesday. Talked a lot more on Friday. He sends me a LinkedIn friend thing, whatever that is. And, hey, come check us out sometimes. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. 82% of the people that you invite to church will attend. Doyle comes walking through the door with his family at the 920 service today. Take time. Only 2% of church people ever invite anyone. Take time. I stand here today amazed. Why? Because Jesus took time for me and still takes time for me. Jesus has been listening to me forever. And Jesus keeps touching me. And and if I've experienced time and, and touch and love that he would listen to me, go love your neighbor. Take some time with them. Well, what's, what are you going through? What's happening in your, in your life? So Schmack, his, he's one of my buddies here in the church. You guys, many of you know John. Patrick is on staff with us. Patrick has still got a few more months in the military. He's got to do two weeks away. So I walk out of the office on Monday at about 5 o'clock. And I walk out, Stacy, before we talk on the phone that day. And I look over at our little play gym area, and there's John Schmacker with Patrick's four kids pushing them on the swing, high-fiving them, laughing with them. And I said, Nick, 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 Slade, look, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. He's touching them. He's listening to them. He's playing with them. That is the incarnation of Jesus. The word has now become flesh, and it's dwelling among those little kids. Daddy is away, but Schmack is, he's like a granddaddy. He's out there spending time with them. I'm like, that's the gospel. Yes, that's the gospel. So Tuesday, my 12-year-old Caleb he goes down to the cul-de-sac. I got to go check on Miss Harp. Miss Harp's husband was killed on a motorcycle last year. She's in her early 70s. Caleb comes back and he goes, her mailbox is about rotted. And I said, really? Yeah, I need to build her a mailbox. I said, so, I mean, they sell those things at Home Depot. No, I'm going to build her one. I said, Seriously. He's got some four-by-fours and two-by-fours, and praise God for Nick Brown for bringing all this wood to him. He gets out there, and he cuts his four-by-fours. He lays this thing. This thing looks phenomenal. He goes and tells her, all I need is a 20-pound bag of cement. He paints this thing, takes the old numbers off, gets black spray paint. He said they look better than new. He puts it back together, and he goes down, and he puts her new mailbox in for her. And I looked and I said, that's the gospel. That that is loving your neighbor. That's reaching out with meaningful touch, giving time. You, You were listening to her. She needed a mailbox. That's the gospel.
And, and, and this is happening all around us every day, right? I mean, I mean, right? God is going to bring people past us and we're like, what's your story? How are you doing? What's your name? This ain't complicated, I promise you. Go love your, your neighbor. Next person you see is your neighbor. Doesn't say about how tall, how short, how wide or skinny or color. Go love your neighbor. That's how Jesus loves us. Now go do likewise. 